Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside co-host, Mr. Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe, June starts tomorrow. When listeners hear this episode, it'll already be June. Um, and I'm just curious, how are you holding up? You know, I, I, I love this time of the year. It's, 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 um, but it's what you've been talking about. You, you're moving, you're going, you're running. Shoot, today's a perfect example. I just, I just rolled in on fumes. I was up in central Michigan, wrapping up something. Gypsy moth is booming. Um, I had a, had a customer last fall scraped off 12 egg masses, put them in a Dixie cup and put a, like a, a saran wrap over top of it and forgot about it and left it on his workshop. He sent me the pictures today. It's going to be like 10,000 little, I can't, uh, not gypsy moth, excuse me, spongy Spongy, moth. Sponge moth, yeah. So he's got this big solo cup full of them. There were so many of them, he had to put them into like a gallon Ziploc bag. There's going to be two to 3,000 of them from them 12 egg masses. Holy cow. So it makes you wonder how many of them little boogers are in there. And then if there's that many, it exactly shows you why this insect is so catastrophic to trees in the forest. Yeah, those those populations can ramp up pretty pretty quickly if you think about oh it. Oh my god, and they're only about a half inch long right now. But holy macaroni! By about three weeks, they'll be the size of your pinky. So what? I got to know the fate of these of these little critters. Are are they going to be released released into the wild? Are they going to meet meet their maker, catch on fire? What, oh no, they're going to fire. Yeah. Yeah, let those guys go free. Well, I mean, I got a so I got I got a neighbor we don't really get along with, but yeah, but you know what? You'd be doing the deed then, and then they're gonna blow over and balloon over on your trees the next year. Like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, so probably not good. Grape and egg masses is actually good, but you gotta destroy them. You can't save them because guess what? They do hatch. (laughs) If they hatch, they did. So I rolled in on fumes. I got twenty miles left in the gas tank from up. So I'm ready. I'm ready and I'm excited about tonight. Um, we'll go in a little bit of a different direction with a good friend, a uh, great arborist, and um, kind of talk about different things. So it'll be good. Yeah, it's, it's always fun to get perspective, especially from different parts of the country. Um, I, I'll let you introduce the guest here in just a sec, but you know, different perspective from not, not only different parts of the country, but also different parts of the industry. So we, yes. we have a lot of people who have just, just their blinders on and they're focused on just one thing. You know, it, it's just pruning or it's just removals or it's just plant healthcare. And I think, I think tonight's guest is going to bring some more of that well-rounded arboriculture that, that we always talk about. So, yeah, um, our guest tonight is uh, Jeff Inman. And I met Jeff through just through arboriculture. And Jeff is a perfect example of how generous um, with knowledge, this industry can be. And, um, I'm proud to, to, to say he's a friend and I'm excited to hear how he got to where he's at and, um, where he's going and what he's doing. So without further ado, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to the show tonight. Yeah. Thanks fellas. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty laid back. Um, usually we have a beverage but i'm drinking water because i didn't have time to make one so i'm yeah no water's water's fine i was telling Corey earlier that uh 
it's uh, this is one of the hotter days we've had in Virginia. So I'm I'm steady on the hydration catch up game right now. Yeah, I needed it too. It was hot. It was 89 here in Michigan today. So um, it was warm. But Jeff, um, like I said we go back a little bit, and like I said in the introduction, you've always been very generous uh, with working with other arborists and showing things and working with things and you know but you're a you you started off as a, a working arborist and a competitor and i mm-hmm. didn't um now forgive me if i'm wrong but weren't you in kentucky back in the day yeah i spent uh, a couple years in kentucky um and that's uh yeah from 2016 to 2018 uh, i believe we were in kentucky so okay. we uh yeah, we move. I'm, I'm born and bred in Virginia, uh, and it's it's where I live now. Uh, we moved back here after our, our son was born. So we we always knew that we want my wife, Kelsey, and I always knew that when we left Virginia, we would eventually come back. We just didn't know it would happen <laughs> as quickly as it did. Oh, um, so we, we just had a brief stint there in Kentucky, but definitely made some lifelong friends and uh, had a ton of fun in Kentucky. Yeah. So let's let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, and our, and our listeners are both forestry and urban forestry, but how did you get into taking care of trees? So I went to Virginia Tech uh, is where I got my bachelor's in, uh, of science in natural resources conservation and I minored in forestry. And at the time, uh, well, one, I didn't really know what I wanted to do other than I knew I just wanted to be outside. Like I've, I've always been passionate about being outside. Uh, the idea of being behind a computer, being in a desk just drove me crazy. Uh, I did an internship with the Boy Scouts uh, while I was in college. And part of that internship involved me being behind a computer. And uh, I had to go tell my boss, I was like, if you don't let me go outside, I'm going to, I'm going to quit right now. Like, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> um, so I graduated where my senior year in, uh, at Virginia Tech, we took a uh, part of my major, one of our required courses was urban forestry. And in that urban forestry course, we uh, spoke specifically on arboriculture and what it was like to climb trees. And I was like, okay, now hold on. You're telling me I can climb trees for a living, like that? That's a real thing. Um, like I've I've been a rock climber since I was you know in my mid teens, uh, largely because of the Boy Scouts and the exposure I got to that from from scouting. But um, so I like and even all through college, I kept up that rock climbing pursuit. Just have always loved this the movement and the being at height. Uh, it's just been a, always been cool. Uh, and my grandfather uh, was a big woodworker. So trees and wood have been a part of our family's life for as long as I've been alive. Uh, just going and looking at trees and like finding burls and just like kind of playing around with wood and seeing what you can you can do with it. So then I take this urban forestry class and learn that I can climb trees for a living. And I was like, boom. Okay, that's, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduate. I figured I was just going to like dirt bag it, you know, 
make my way out to Yosemite, I guess, and just like follow that whole train, um, you know, dumpster like dive and just do what? Corey did the same thing. We'll let Corey tell about his dirt bag. Oh, sweet, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I mean, like there's, there's that uh, Chris Farley sketch on SNL of like living in a van down by the river. I was like, well, that's literally what I want to do. Like, down by the um, river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just go and climb all the time. But then I learned that like, well, one, these student loans are going to start at some point. So I have to start paying this back. Uh, but then also like I could climb trees for a living. Um, so my, uh, I met my now wife uh, right at, like right after I graduated. We were both doing a, a rock climbing director certification through the scouts. And we met in Mount Airy, North Carolina. So we worked through the summer that tried to like kind of have odd end jobs, but like I jumped into arboriculture towards the end of 2011 and it's been full steam ahead ever since. Um, this is, it's such an awesome industry. The people are unlike any, anyone I've ever met in my whole life. Um, it's the, the, adventures we get to have every single day in people's backyards is uh, it's just so captivating like the ac the accessibility to be able to climb every day and interact in these organisms is uh is is the thing that just keeps drawing me back and then then you discover the whole idea that there's tree climbing competitions and there's these giant industry expos so basically like you develop this family inside of arboriculture and you have all these different events that basically are just family reunions. We call them different things that have different levels of events, but really they're just family reunions uh, where you get to kick it with these people from different parts of the world. You, you said uh, you said something that resonated with me earlier. You said that you found out when you took urban forestry at VT that um, urban forestry you get to climb. Do you mm -hmm. know who else had that revelation that you know pretty well? is Kevin Bingham. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Kevin had the yeah. same thing. He didn't know what to yeah. do. He was kind of dirtbagging after North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Wait, yeah. was Kevin a hokey bird? Was Kevin a hokey no. bird, too? No, 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 no. Kevin went to North Carolina, I think. He was, or his family's from North Carolina. I think he went. Oh, gotcha. But he did the same thing. He says, you know, and I get to climb for a living? Trees? Yeah. And then the same thing. He found out that that was uh, actually, uh, it was a job. But, yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. You guys are both doing really well in the industry. Um, after, after school, uh, you never pursued anything in dirt forestry with the forestry? No. no. So I get like every, at least most, um, most climbing arborists that I've interacted with kind of hit this like five-year bubble where it's just kind of like, is this really what I want to do? Like I've been dragging brush, I've been climbing trees, I'm on spikes, you know, more than I care to be sometimes like it's like just the industry kind of goes to these waves or at least it has in my career so a lot of I find a lot of people hit this like five-year bubble where they start exploring what other options are out there um so that was probably the closest I came to like dirt forestry is it's like just kind of feeling out what else was out there and what I discovered at least for me personally is that tree work uh, specifically like climbing trees scratches an itch and like of my soul that I 
haven't been able to find uh, elsewhere. Like, so you kind it, of, uh, it was a perfect storm. You landed right in the best career that was possible for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I use the term blessed a lot. Like I, I, I feel very blessed to have found the industry when I did to have had the career that I've had thus far. Um, it's just been, it's been a true blessing to, to land in this. Um, Cause otherwise it would just seem too random. <laughs> um, so, so but Jeff- yeah. So, so Jeff, can you, can you explain to us, what do you do in the day-to-day? Are you a production climber? Are you a trainer? What, what is it that you do? So I work for True Timber Arbors in Richmond, Virginia, and I wear uh, a plethora of hats. Uh, the main one is risk manager. Um, other companies would call it a safety and training manager. We changed that title to risk manager a couple of years ago, because as we analyze, like words mean a lot to us in our company. So we choose the titles and, and how we talk about things very carefully. And what we, what we kind of came to talk about was that safety is not a real world, a real, real word, excuse me, in, uh, in what we do. Like we expose ourselves to risks and we rely on our training to manage and mitigate those risks the best way possible. So we elected to change the title to risk manager because that's really what I'm doing every day is helping people grow and learn in order to manage and mitigate those risks in the best way possible. So what that looks like is one day a week roughly where I kind of have to sit behind a computer and do like the compliance side of things, make sure that everybody's tracking the way that they're supposed to. So looking at spreadsheets, you know, writing up trainings, um, at times it's writing up articles and and stuff like that. Um, But then the rest, but like literally the moment that I can get out the door and go start climbing or dragging brush or something, I'm gone. Like, like it's a, and I try to be out there from the moment the teams leave in the morning at 7.30 until we all get back at the end of the day. Because I also, like, for my personal feelings on it is, like, I'm not going to be an effective trainer to the people that I'm working with unless I'm out there sweating with them. And, and I will tell you, because of that summer that I spent climbing in, in Richmond, Virginia, well, actually I was dragging brush, which to hear a climber say that he's dragging brush in Virginia just makes my heart melt uh, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a hundred and something with, with humidity that's through the roof and air warnings. So oh, yeah. I, I'm just tickled pink and you sound like, oh, yeah. you sound like a phenomenal person to be on the team with. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, today it was like, I think it was like 96 and like 70% humidity or something like that. I felt like I couldn't breathe in the top of the tree. But but I mean, that's like part of, that's part of why we have the trees that we do. Like I'd like, I'll argue till the day I die that Richmond has some of the raddest trees to go and climb around in. Um, And it's, it's just, we've got the perfect soil. We've got the perfect weather conditions. um, And we also have the history of, of trying to care and maintain these big trees. So it's Richmond's a sweet place to, to be a tree climber. It might get hot, but I'll, I'll take that to play in our trees. Let's um, I want the, the listeners to uh, get a little bit more about who you are. Let's go back and talk a little bit about competing. Mm. 
And how did, how did, you know what? Not everybody can compete. And, um, and I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know that. Well, let me, let me, um, mentally, it takes a yeah. lot of, um, because I'm, I bring that up because one of my really, really good friends and an amazing climber, Abden, mm-hmm. um, Abden, if you watch him climb, is probably one of the smoothest climbers out there. He's just amazing. But it gets up time when it gets time to competition. I think he overthinks it, and it hurts him. So I know he's he's a young man and he's getting better. But um, and you might you're right. Maybe everybody is you know just last is still competing or first. You're but you're competing, mm-hmm. and I think the the state and the chapter competitions are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, before you'd have 15, 20 climbers, and now you're you're topping and limiting out on 50, 55 climbers in a comp. Um, how did you get into it? How you how how have you done competing? Are you are and are you still competing? Yes. Um, so how I got into it was uh, I'd been doing. So I started working for Bartlett Tree Experts in, uh, just outside of Washington D.C. Um, I spent six years with Bartlett. In my first year, uh, I'd been probably doing tree work, I don't know, maybe like three months. I had no idea tree climbing competitions existed. Uh, I just knew that this industry involved climbing trees, and uh, that's all I really cared about. So, but my uh, my college roommate is who uh, I was actually working with him at Bartlett. He was like, hey, there's uh, this tree climbing competition uh, just, you know, up in Maryland. Let's go check it out. Uh, so we hopped in the car and I was like, I mean, like, what do we, what do they do? Like, I'm thinking steel timber sports is to be honest, like we're, they're spiking a spar. Like it's, it's basically all the same questions that I get asked now from the general public of like, uh, you know, what, what the heck does that even mean? Um, so we show up and I'm watching the Mid-Atlantic Chapters comp uh, in uh, 2012 and I'm watching like Chris Coates and Tom Whitelock and Andrew Dunavant, like these like titans of the competition world that I had no idea. Who they were. I was, just, I'm just watching these people fly through these streets. We're really just like glide through these streets. And I like was, I don't know if I've ever been uh, drawn to something faster than when I saw that I was like growing up playing sports, I have a competitive nature um, that like my wife gets a little aggravated <laughs> at times, but like, I just have this like innate desire to, to push myself and uh, as far as, as far as I can and to compete. And what really, like I, I talk about like different things, um as as trying to turn them into games so like when things get hard try to make it into a game so yeah it's so hard but it's fun so discovering that tree climbing competitions existed was like this is right up my alley um i don't know how to climb trees very well yet but this looks sweet so i spent uh i competed in 2013 for the very first time and I think I came in dead last. <laughs> okay. um, it's, and I mean, like, it was great. Like I, I have, my mom took a bunch of video footage of um, 
you know, this is back when we were footlocking. So I have like my very first foot, like I'd only footlocked a handful of times before that count. I'd never practiced blade speed climb. Uh, I did okay at work climb. Uh, aerial rescue, I timed out. Throw line, I'm pretty sure I bombed. Like, I mean, it was like, I look back on it now and it's like kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like very humbling. And again, another blessing to see like what uh, work and determination can do of, as I watch basically these series of videos from 2013 now up to this year and just kind of seeing this progression for myself personally, but also just kind of the competition scene as a whole. So, so I've been competing since 2013. Um, I made it to masters for the very first time in uh, 2015, 2016 in the mid Atlantic chapter. Um, so that was huge. Like for several years, I missed out on masters by one point, like, Oh, you're right there. Like, right, right there. It's like, ah, oh, and, uh, it's like, what do I have to do differently? What do I have to do differently? That's, uh, it's when I learned more about like, okay, specifically with the ISA comps, the rule book is your guidebook to be able to score more points. So when you understand how that works, then you know how to play the game better. So when you know how to play the game better, then it helps you. Because at least for me, like competing, the pre preliminary events are all good and fine and like super fun. But Masters is really like my, like the trophy for me. Whether I win Masters or not, like just going and, and dancing at Masters is, is the kind of important thing. So Corey? Can you can you explain to the listeners, some aren't familiar with climbing contests. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. What, what um, is it to be masters or in the masters world? So in um, the preliminary events are a series of five individual events. Uh, so you have a work climb where you start at the top of the tree and basically swing around to these different stations in the tree and ring bells with a handsaw and throw sticks and uh, jump out of the tree. I should, I said jump, like you rappel out of the tree, and try to land on a bullseye. Aerial rescue, you've got a dummy that's uh, in the tree that you have to ascend up to, move over, do an assessment on and bring them down inside of five minutes. There's two speed-based events where belayed speed climb, it's basically like you're a little kid just tied to a rope and you grab the tree and climb it as fast as you possibly can. Uh, and then there's the ascent event now where there's just a rope hanging in free space and you clip in with ascenders, uh, which is how most people do it now is using a foot ascender, knee ascender, some sort of progress capture device. And you just race up that rope as fast as you possibly can. And then throw line, how we install ropes and trees is a little weighted ball tied to a small diameter rope that we throw up into the tree and then pull our ropes up. So the top, depending on how many people are competing, the top three to five, male and female competitors advance to what's called the master's challenge. And that's a typically around a 30 minute, uh, what we call a ground to crown. So there are stations in the tree. It's almost like a culmination of everything from the prelims, but you have 30 minutes to do a site assessment, install a rope in the tree, climb to access, and then move around to ring 
these bells with your handsaw. Uh, it's, there's still some throwing sticks. Um, and then try to retrieve or pull all of your gear out of the tree inside of 30 minutes. Um, and there's, you've got a team of people that are holding clipboards that are judging you the whole time and looking for like subtle differences. So it's yeah, screaming at you. Yeah. And, yeah. and a crowd. And I'm generally part of that crowd who's cheering you on saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, tie in. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, just to speak to the nerve side of it, that's like a big, big, big part of it, especially on masters, is being able to manage basically that noise. Um, So, that's, uh, yeah, that's, and, but that's also part of my favorite thing about it is the mental side of competing, of, trying to take that anxiety and still perform under pressure. Uh, And it's gotten to a point now where when I walk into a master's ring, typically the only voices I hear are the person I'm supposed to talk to inside of the ring, uh, which is usually the one I'm calling audibles to, uh, and my wife outside of the ring. Uh, Everything else like just kind of like falls away. All that noise just kind of falls away. That's pretty amazing. How many, how many, uh, how many, how many times do you get to that level to, before you could um, learn the technique to tune that out? Because that, that's that's a that's an art and science to be able to focus on <laughs> something like that. So uh, probably. So I to answer your last question, I very much still do compete. Uh, it's part of what keeps my fire stoked for. Uh, for hanging out uh, in in the trees. Okay. To um, to answer that question, it was probably the very first Masters I made it to in Mac. Uh, I came in second behind Drew Donovan. We both beat James Earhart, which like hadn't been done <laughs> in our chapter in a long time, uh, which was cool. But I definitely hadn't figured out the whole white noise thing yet. And it was really probably maybe the next year after, after I spent that year in between, I did a lot of competing that year in between uh, that Mac Masters and when I competed in Kentucky uh, and uh, went to Masters in Kentucky. So I spent a lot of time picking the brains of other competitors, uh, especially like James uh, he, uh, after that, we, you know, clicked a little bit better. Cause it's like, he's like, Oh, so there's this other guy in the chapter that, that can climb a little bit too. Um, so it's, it just allowed us to start developing, I guess, a, a stronger friendship relationship. So I felt or really, it made it. So I felt more comfortable asking him questions about things. Cause he was always this, this like intimidating thing, even though he's like the nicest dude. <laughs> Um, but it so, took a lot of like dedicated, I guess, practice. Like I just spent a lot of time trying to tune out noise. Fan. Hey, bringing home any hardware? Oh, I, not, not, I don't want you bragging about yourself too much, but, <laughs> um, yeah. You, so I guess my most notable things have been, uh, I've, uh, two-time Kentucky 
champion, um, which means I've been to internationals in both 2018 and 2019. 2018, I came in second uh, overall. Uh, in 2019, I came in fifth. Uh, this year, that's in the world. In the world, yeah, that's at internationals. I just wanted so, to throw that in there because when we awesome. speak, when um, when you win a just for our listeners, so when you win a chapter, you go to masters and you win masters, you represent that chapter at the international tree climbing championship itcc which is hosed around the world and uh just so they know that uh the best climbers from chapters all around the world compete at this mm-hmm. so, yeah no thanks for clarifying that too. yeah 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 well i've i've got a question as as we're, we're coming up on our allotted time for our episodes i'm i'm just real quick from you jeff What's a piece of advice that you would give somebody who's contemplating either getting into the industry or getting into climbing competitions? Oh, I'd say just do it. Um, it's usually the, the, you know, that Nike slogan, just do it. Like if you're, if you're thinking about it, that likely means you're wired for it. Uh, I talk about how you don't find the trees, the trees seem to find you. Um, so if it's something that you've, feel like is stoking your fire, then, then just give it a shot. With tree climbing competition specifically, uh, the, one of the things I hear most often from people is I wish I would have gotten into this sooner, Yes, which means they've spent a lot of time debating it year after year of like, Oh, like I should just get into the, or, you know, I, I need to wait until I'm better. So that way I can show up and like really put things on display when in reality, that's not what the competitions are about. Like the competitions are a learning environment. And it's also the most supportive competitive thing I've ever been a part of. Like I want to win. Like my competitive drive wants me to win. But when I'm there, I also want you to win. And I want you to win. And I want you to win. And I'm going to do everything in my power to share whatever I know to try to help that person succeed. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. Like, these things are supposed to be inspirational events that then carry us back to our work life to try to then grow and be better versions of ourselves inside of our day-to-day life than we were in the previous day. Like bringing home medals and all that kind of stuff is, is fun. Like, and it's like, I'd love to do it, but again, it's, it's mainly trying to help yourself grow and help the people around you grow as well. So well, if you're thinking so, about it, just jump right in. Yeah, it's it's awesome. too cool not to do it. Awesome, Jeff. Well, th- thank you on behalf of the forestry team here and, and many other people that you've inspired. Thank you so much for what you do. I wish you nothing but luck and success in all of your future competitions. And yeah, hopefully we can have you back on for another conversation. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.